Welcome to the Build My Online Store podcast, where we discuss everything and anything about running an online store. If you like the podcast, sign up for the mailing list to get news and updates at buildmyonlinestore.com. And now, here's your host, Terry Lynn. Welcome to episode 59 of the Build My Online Store podcast. I'm your host, Terry, and today we'll be talking about a new way to shop online uh, in the UK through a platform called Flubbit. So it's not exactly about building your own online store today, but I think it's important as entrepreneurs to pay attention to what's going on in the market and what some other people are doing. So this episode will be a small detour onto the bigger e-commerce industry in general. And a couple shout outs before we get started. We have a new five-star iTunes review from Jake. He says, informative podcast with actionable insight terry keeps his podcast straight to the point with actionable insights and interviews about e-commerce definitely the best e-commerce podcast that is out there well thanks jake but i definitely would say mine is not the best i gotta give some love to two other podcasts related to e-commerce that i've stumbled upon lately that you guys should definitely also check out uh, one is e-commerce fuel by our good friend andrew udarian over at ecommercefuel.com and also e-commerce pulse by layton taylor uh, over at ecommerce pulse uh, Com. So definitely check out these two new podcasts. I think they're at about five or six episodes. So uh, definitely follow them and give them some love too. So uh, I think there's definitely more room within the e-commerce space for more podcasts or blogs. I think even though I've been at this for a year or so, I think it's still a very underserved market. So if anyone wants to get into the game, you know, just off the top of my head, I think uh, e-commerce convergence would be a great niche. Uh, maybe buying e-commerce sites and moving between different business models or, you know, product sourcing. Maybe even like a B2B e-commerce blog would be very interesting to follow too. So one more item, uh, part two of the blog post on how I sourced a product overseas will finally go live this week. I know I've been slacking off on it for a bit, but I finally finished up the video portion of that post. So be sure to check it out at buildmyonlinestore.com. It's about 4,000 word long. It's definitely a long read, but it basically summed up what I've been doing the past two months or so. And you get some insight onto uh, some product fulfillment uh, inside your living room too. So with that being said, uh, let's just get into this week's episode. So uh, real quick, uh, who are you and what do you do? So my name is Bertie and I'm one of the co-founders of Flubber.com. And uh, it generally means that I'm also the CEO, which means we just run the day-to-day business and it's it's a lot of fun. Gotcha, gotcha. And so how would you explain Flubber to a complete stranger that's listening to the show right now? Okay, so Flubber is a, a new way of looking at online buying. So what we do is we create lower offers on the products you're about to buy. So say you want to buy a hundred pound pair of headphones, you do your usual searching and price comparison websites, find where you want to buy it. As soon as you know where you're going to buy it from, you let us know that link. So it might be from you know, a popular web store that you're going to buy from. And then we'll actually create you a, a brand new unique price that's lower than the one you've already found. So we take the best search you found and then create you an even lower price. So if I find something on Amazon, I can take that link, send it to you guys, and you guys will find something even cheaper? Or 
Absolutely, absolutely. So, so the, the key thing about us is we don't find, but we actually create. We have hundreds of suppliers supplying us millions of products, and we then have the power to create brand new prices on those. The key thing for us is because the offer we send back to you, so we send it back to you for, say, £95 rather than 100 it's completely private and one-on-one with you. We have the ability to create that lower price, which they, the retailer or the supplier wouldn't normally be able to do on a public marketplace. So if I understand this right, is it in a sense like you're going direct to the supplier almost, cutting everyone literally out of the middle? or It works in very different ways. I mean, we do, we do work with a lot of web stores. Um, so uh, we have a lot of web stores signed up to us. But, and on the few occasions, we actually go to the manufacturer as well. But the key thing is that you know, a lot of these web stores, when selling on the likes of, as you suggested, Amazon or Play.com or, or those sorts of things, they will always be charged uh, kind of a set commission. Going through us, we actually ask the price without that commission. And then we have the ability to add on our own commission depending on what price we feel fit to discount for that user. Because I understand Amazon, if you're selling that, they charge you, I think, 15% right off the bat. Yeah. So you're telling us that's kind of it's somewhere in the middle. So it can, it can really vary. So let, let's take a, a clean example. You're using Amazon, so I will too. Um, Amazon, let's say, charge on average 15% commission for their marketplace. So uh, you're selling something through Amazon 15%. What we ask is, you know, at, at the very basic level, and some, some people do us a lot better deals than this, uh, just that Amazon price minus that 15%. And then, so you as a supplier are going to be getting back exactly the same amount of money as you would have from Amazon. We have the ability to either add a 1% margin on or a 12% margin on, and we can be really varied. And, you know, and so we, we have the ability to, so when someone says, I want to buy this from, say, Amazon again for £100, we then go and see we've got it available to us for £85, and we might sell it for £90, we might sell it for £95, whatever we feel is right for the market at the time. I see. So as a supplier, it really makes no difference because it's whatever the commission's on top, it's almost the same. Right? Well, the, I think the thing we found great for suppliers is that there's, there's a few you know, smaller advantages. Granted, we are smaller than Amazon right now. So in regards to volume on a per order basis, it's uh, the volume on a, on a kind of overall community basis, it's, it's smaller. But on a per order basis, it's really quite interesting. Where you may have lost maybe the buy box on Amazon or you may have lost the CPC on Google or, or those sorts of things, Flubber actually gives the opportunity to have that supplier win the sale again because the person has gone through, clicked on the CPC from a, maybe a PC world, for example, and looking at the product on there. Then they demand it on Flubbit because they know about Flubbit and they can create a better offer. And suddenly the, the sale is diverted back through to you when you've, already, when you've lost it before. And you haven't paid any marketing fee on that. So therefore, any, any discount you're giving with us, even though it might just be your commission fee or any further fee, is actually just that marketing fee you would have paid on the CPC. I see. So it's like a, kind of like a card abandonment tool too, in, in essence, also. There's, there's an element of that, yes. Interesting. And so for the buyer, um, so, so when I put a deal in, something I want to buy, the fee you guys charge is built into the end deal, right? So I don't pay anything extra? Or? No, absolutely. It's, it's a free service. Nice, nice. Interesting. And so who are the typical customers that use Flubbit? Right now. It's really interesting. So we've got kind of two real distinctive sets. Um, obviously, we've got a wide range, but we have a, a lot of young moms and we, we sell a lot of baby products, um, which is really quite interesting. Um, and I guess there's there's a lot of expense which goes with um, bringing up a young kid and um, being able to save discounts on that is great. But then we have a lot of people who, um, and also toys were very big at Christmas. We had a, we had a huge um, surge in toys, um, which obviously toys does grow generally at Christmas, but um, for us, it kind of went through. And I think that was through the demographic we were attracting there. But then at the same time, we've got a, a kind of a lot of younger males who are using us for computer games and their electronics because they can always get around, you know, five to 
10% off on them. How did the concept for Flubbit come about? So my background was actually in uh, the film industry. Um, so I was lucky enough to um, work on a number of different films. And, and straight out of college, I um, set up a uh, film and advertising industry and was working on that. And, and, I, and I realized at the time there was a buy, I was a producer um, by trade. There are a lot of times when I um, needed to buy things, but there are a lot of different vendors and there was no real way to, I guess, play them off against each other. But at the same time, you know, I knew that, you know, if I caught up and haggled, which a lot of what my job was, um, I could actually create better prices. So really Flubbit developed from that where I just believed there was an ability to organize that and disrupt the market in a way where this could be done in a way that benefits suppliers, benefits the buyers, but at the same time is more efficient than maybe what's out there already. I see. So in essence, it's taking like asymmetric information and making it kind of more efficient through the platform. There is a big uh, word in the, the startup, I guess, world of which it kind of fills through to e-commerce as well, which is disruption, which is where you're trying to change things. Um, but, you know, we, we believe we do that and we talk about that. But really, we're looking at the art of being more efficient within the market yeah to like search for a product and then put it onto your platform rather than just typing it in like amazon well efficient we're looking at margins and prices really um so the ability to buy things for cheaper more efficiently because we're doing it through a different route which you know every other if you if you look at how flub it works on a kind of very high level basis every other place out there such as your 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 online web stores your online marketplaces like the amazons and those sorts of things too they will list the price first and that price listed is a you know algorithm or someone behind the scenes setting a set profit margin and saying this is what it costs for you buyer always and they'll vary that and they'll tweak that as we go along um but what we've done is we actually we react we react second so someone gives us a url um either using our kind of bookmarklet or through just copy and pasting and then we have the ability to react second to that so we say okay this is the current live price but we know what the cost prices are elsewhere so we can we can find somewhere nicely in the middle which makes it cheaper for us for the buyer oh interesting interesting I, I see what you mean so Amazon guys are slapping a margin above it, then showing it to you, but you guys are going backwards and then kind of. It's it's really yeah. We try we try to a lot of a lot of how Flubbit works is doing things in opposites really. Um, so rather than listing a price with a commission, we don't list any price, therefore we don't have a set commission. And the way we don't list any products, so you, you can't go onto Flubbit.com and browse products. You can only although we have something like three four million products in our back database, you cannot see any visibility of them. Um, from just going on to flubber.com. And what that allows us to do is to have this private offer to you. So the, the offer I send to you, Terry, would be absolutely private. And therefore, that price is just for you and gives the the seller the ability to not have to kind of dilute their brand in a public marketplace. So if you consider maybe like how a Groupon operates, I mean, we're obviously very different to that. They send out discounted deals every day. But a lot of suppliers find it tough to be so publicly shown as a discounter um, when, especially if they're trying to, especially if they've got a big brand, but a lot of suppliers, you know, want to get rid of stock quickly and those sorts of things. So with the Flubbit model, it's private. So people, if you receive something from one of our suppliers, you don't necessarily know whether they've sent one offer that day just to you or a thousand offers to other people. Oh, so it prevents them because once the price goes out like on Amazon that's cheaper or whatever platform, basically it's a race to the bottom, right? And this prevents that because it's all private. A marketplace is inherently a, a race to the bottom as, as people are trying to get cheaper. But what we do is because we have the ability to react second, it means we don't have to publicly push that race to the bottom. Interesting. interesting. And, and so just, you know, without giving me the numbers, like what's the ballpark conversion rate for people that actually enter like a product there and actually buy? Would it be like 50% or more? Or like? uh, well, it's, it's slightly less than that, but we're still quite proud of it. Um, it's one in three people will buy 
if they enter the product. Um, which, so that's a 30% conversion rate, which e-commerce average is about 5%. So we, we, we're really quite happy with that. Nice. So, so it's interesting that when people enter that, they already know they want to buy this pretty much. Is that the feeling you get too? That, that, that is the feeling. Because, because we don't allow people to search or browse, they really come to flub it as a final destination. As a platform, we don't really um, concentrate on product reviews, um, you know, really detailed product descriptions. We, we actually allow all the other marketplaces to do that for us. So you'll go and do your research elsewhere and then buy with us. I see. So the customer actually does it upfront, and then they just do it as a final step before they buy yeah, pretty much. And are you guys only available in the UK or worldwide? Or? Currently, we're only available in the UK and Ireland. Um, the reason we're doing that is we, you know, we're a young company. Um, we've been around for 18 months and we've been live for about seven or eight months now. And the thing we wanted to do is make sure we got it right. You know, uh, as any startup, we have a lot of technology things we need to correct and, and make sure we get through. And you know, this is one of the things, the way we could concentrate on making sure we get it correct is by concentrating on a market we know very well. You know, we're based in the UK. Um, and you know, then it's a view to expanding later. I see, I see. And so kind of just in general, what are like the typical products that your customers filter through in Flubby? Yeah, so um, I kind of, the ones I mentioned earlier were like, like toys and games and those sorts of things. Uh, but we have you know, a lot of consumer electronics um, going through. Um, and also we have quite an interesting um, concentration at the moment on health and beauty, which might be seasonal um, due to the summer coming out and people wanting to look pretty. Uh, but uh, it's, you know, it's, it's really quite interesting because people come on to Flubbit generally to buy maybe a, a nice purchase which they really want to save things on and then realize that actually it's just a nice tool for saving a little bit of money. And there are cashback sites out there which, you know, you'll buy something and then 60 days later they might send you cashback. But what we do is we say, well, don't spend that money in the first place. Actually, get a get a nice big discount straight away. I see, I see. Got you, guys. All right. And so, you know, if we move on to a little bit about sales and marketing, so how do you uh, market Flubbit kind of to the general marketplace right now? Well, that, that's been a really weird one for us over the last six months. At the moment, um, and and this is certainly not any reflection on our head of marketing, who's brilliant. Um, we're not doing any direct marketing. There's a lot of word of mouth and viral going around, which is really nice. But the thing that our um, you know, head of marketing really concentrates on right now is um, is partnerships and um, making sure that we can put our name in in situations where it, it really works for us. So we have a great team who who blog for us and and kind of show in kind of a contextual point of view how Flubber can really be used. And, and that's something which um, Gary really concentrates on. So we don't anymore, we used to at the very beginning, but we didn't find it was that effective for us. We don't anymore need to spend money on on paper clicking that. What's great about us is, you know, 20% of, 27% of people month on month come back and buy from us if they've bought from us already. So people remember us and it's a reasonably sticky platform. We don't need to necessarily keep engaging people to come back like with monthly emails or anything like that. Um, and a lot of people, it, you know, the word breaks onto forums quite quickly. So we had a, uh, there was a game called The Last of Us, which was just been released on, I think, the PlayStation 3. And it, it, called on to flood, it called on to one of the gaming forums that you could you know, buy cheap on Flubbit. And we had hundreds and hundreds of orders for this one single game. Um, which worked really well for us. Nice, nice. Because I think this concept wouldn't really be communicated well in a CPC ad, right? I mean, you would just, like, I think it's very revolutionary that what you guys are doing versus if you just put up an ad, words, I think the average person wouldn't get it, like what this platform is about. In the early days, we did spend quite a bit of money on CPC and saw very few results, um, which was a shame. But it taught us something very interesting, and that's that necessarily for us, CPC is not the right stage of the buying journey 
to actually um, convince the user to come and use Flubbit. There's actually better parts of the buying journey. And a lot of people will do research and, and a lot of people will do the research on that first product. And that's the best time to entice someone when they want to maybe buy something which they are researching for. And they will end up on forums and things. And if the word of mouth comes from the forums and people get trust and endorsements from other members that they've used us. Uh, we had a great example of people buying, in Ireland, buying mobile phones. So the Irish market is really interesting. So they are in euro, but everything in euro is almost double the price of things in the pound. So they'll try and buy a lot of their electronics in the UK, and have, it's cheaper to have it just shipped across. A lot of people started talking about us on one of these Irish boards, and they were buying these mobile phones. And because of that endorsement, everyone started buying their mobile phones for us. So we've got a, we've got a great Irish market, and that actually prompted us to go out into Ireland and, and, we, and actually work logistically work a way to make it work, because people in Ireland wanted to buy things for cheaper and they were saving even more money by using Flubber and having it shipped to them. Nice. So you're basically disrupting the whole Irish retail market in like yes, one stroke. Um, which, <laughs> and I think last week they went back into recession. So obviously I, I don't think we were to blame for that, but um, no, it was helping in a way for us. So Nice, nice. Interesting, interesting. And so I guess one of these things is that once you have a good experience, you tell your friends and then kind of the word of mouth keeps your acquisition costs really low. I was looking at the reports this morning, and I actually, you know, direct marketing acquisition costs are zero point zero zero something pence. You know, because because we're not we don't not needing to spend on it, and you know we do have some great referral programs and and those sorts of things. But um, uh, yeah, I mean that's that that is re- a real big help for us. Nice, nice. So I'm curious, how big is your team now? Uh, kind of on Flubbit. So we have a team of about. 35, 36 guys, um, and that's that's grown from about nine last year. So it's been a it's been quite a dramatic um, rise over the last year or so, which has been a, a really interesting task on other elements, such as uh, dealing with HR and you know every day someone's on holiday or something like that, which is a, it's a very different experience from when you're a core team of nine people. And so, so just to wrap things up a little bit, so you know, where do you see the e-commerce industry going when you're coming in with Flubbit at such a different angle and kind of value proposition? I obviously, you know, I, I see there's there's a very big focus on um, switching it around. So a lot of people are, are pushing out deals at the moment and we're getting people to demand deals. So that, that's, I think, a very interesting thing. But I think more than ever, um, e-commerce is moving into a very contextual point of view. Uh, so people are looking to write more content. You know, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of content agencies looking to put e-commerce and e-commerce people looking to put it into content. And I think that's great because you know, you'll see people reading an article and then realizing that they can buy the thing they just read about, even though it wasn't necessarily an advertisement, but there is an offering of this is where you can buy it from. And what I'm excited about that from a Flubbit point of view is that even though that is a shift in how the market works, there's always going to be the ability to demand a lower price. So Flubbit pushing themselves into those you know, content places is actually going to be really interesting. So looking at maybe pushing Flubbit into, onto bloggers. So if a blogger writes about something, the new camera that they've just reviewed or, or they like, those sorts of things, you could actually have, well, you can buy it from this place for this much or why not demand a better office and get it from us. Yeah, interesting. And so you know, going back onto the deals model, I mean, do you see that as a sustainable model going forward? Because I noticed, I think, the past couple of years, you had these websites, specifically in the U.S., that really did like daily deals or flash sales, and I don't know, for me as a gut feeling, like I was like, okay, that's cool, but it doesn't seem really sustainable. I don't know what do you think? I I know exactly what you mean. We've had a lot of debates about this in house. I think on a very kind of core level, the daily deal market is something which could be sustainable if it focuses solely on services and and finds a way to really 
benefit the supplier because I know a lot of services will have people who are only after the discount and have no loyalty, which is obviously what the core selling point is of these daily deal services, that you bring in new customers and they stay with you. I know a lot of people don't. So if there was a way to actually keep that strong, then it is definitely a sustainable market. The way, and, and you read a lot about the group on numbers and those sorts of things, and they are actually shifting their strategy a lot now since Andrew Mason's gone and those sorts of things too. I think that the problem they've had is this trying to scale so quickly. Uh, the scalability has meant they've had to spend a lot on, on human resources uh, to really get these deals out there. So it's, it's also cost a lot. And the, the one big you know, floor also in that, that model, which needs addressing, and I'm sure they are somewhere, is the retention. Because very, you know, I every day wake up to 10, 15, 20 emails, I don't know, from, you know, is it, whether it be voucher in the UK or, or those sorts of things too, uh, you know, group, and, and you just have to make sure that the retention can be there as well. Yeah, because once the retention's not there, it becomes like a cycle to keep getting people to come back and then... And then you have to spend more money on buying new customers. And if, if the person isn't coming back, they're probably not telling their friends about you either. Exactly. And especially with your overhead so high, it becomes a big challenge too. Exactly. So I think it is a big challenge. I, but I do believe there is an avenue to make it profitable. And I am sure, I think, I think what's going to be the really interesting story, if you're just looking solely at the daily deals market, is what Groupon are going to do. Uh, there's obviously been a lot of negative press last year about them in regards to how they run their financials. Um, but they are trying to evolve themselves. And it's going to be really interesting to see if their evolution focuses still on the daily deal or if it focuses more on a different area of e-commerce. Yeah, interesting. All right. And so let's go back to another topic you touched about, kind of a content business in e-commerce. So, you know, just to relate to the solo e-commerce entrepreneur, like I think I think the word content marketing really has picked up kind of like the past one or two years, although it's been here forever. But I think really like this year and last year is when people started saying, hey, you know, this is what uh, you have to get into. So so kind of like, you know, what, where do you see this going kind of like for the solo entrepreneur? Do they need to start blogging a lot or kind of how did they integrate this model? Uh, with their e-commerce business? Uh, from a solo entrepreneur, I, I think it is, look, the web is driven by content. doesn't matter what genre you pick, um, whether it be, you know, kind of the, the general kind of new stuff all the way through to kind of like the less so public stuff, it's all driven by new content. And I think now for the solo entrepreneur, if, you, if you're actually getting out there and trying to produce something where you want people to come back, you have to develop new content. And that's, and, and that, you know, that's something which has been, showing very clearly as we go along. I mean, look, look at the rise in Pinterest. The rise in Pinterest and the rise in Facebook is, is not necessarily because people have a, a necessarily addiction to understand what their friends are doing. It's because people have a, an addiction to just in downtime and those sort of things uh, take in and consume content. That's why the iPad has done so well. The iPad isn't very good at creating content, but it allows a consumer, just a general consumer, to consume content. Um, and I think the e-commerce industry is, is catching on very well to that. Um, or, or should be catching on very well to that if the right decision makers make the right decisions um, because people want the content and once you're engaged into contact you have such a brilliant ability to, to sell to someone because if, if you've read something which really inspires you about uh, maybe it's a bit of makeup or a dress or something like that you're far more engaged to buy it than if you just see an advert on the side of the street or on telly yeah it's like I think the old days of just having a store with products and no pictures is kind of done so I, I would uh, I would agree with you on that yeah yeah it's like because like if you say like you know you're selling I don't know, travel wallets, right? Whereas kind of if you just have a blog that says, hey, you know, here's what you do. Say you have a Bali travel guide and then kind of, you, oh, by the way, I sell these products and kind of it makes a lot more sense once you engage with that discussion too, so. 
Exactly. If you can convince something that, you know, Bali is the place to go and they're going there and they're reading all about you and you've got some free content showing pictures and then you say, look, if you want a bit more of this, then it's in the book, then it's 10 times more engaging to buy that book because you already, you already know the kind of content and the con- is it, it's not so much just content, it's context as well. Um, so the context which has been put into you um, and suddenly uh, then it's relevant to you and you want to buy it. Yeah, awesome. Art. And so we touched about uh, kind of the deal model and kind of content with e-commerce. So, you know, just from your angle, uh, you know, what other di- disruptions do you see coming within the e-commerce business? Well, it's obviously Flubbit. Um, that's the key one. No, no. Um, I mean, that's, that's the way we look at it. So we look at the, the, the way we look at disruption within the e-commerce model is a way to, you know, be able to take on the big guys without needing necessarily the money to take on the big guys. Um, and you know, there, there are a number of different ways I'm sure that we should going to be done that. Our way is to focus on a demand-led model. So allowing people to say, okay, there isn't a price listed here, but ask for one and we'll come back to you with one. Nice. And you can take this data when you go to suppliers and say, hey, these are what people have bought through us and then kind of use that to leverage new suppliers to join up with you guys, right? Yeah, that's really interesting. And what's more interesting um, from our point of view is actually having an insight into the industry. Because we accept URLs, we understand where people were going to buy from if we didn't exist and also um, what they were going to pay. So January last year, we, we compared our data to a report which is compiled from surveys and, and you know, a few companies which give in their market data. And we were exceptionally accurate in regards to how we understood the, the market, the, the e-commerce market in the UK as a, as a whole, because we were able to say, okay, these many people, this percentage of people bought from this website, from this website, this was the average basket value, they were this demographic. So we actually understood our competitors' demographics and volume and how often people were using them and for prices and also categories. So, for example, you know, stores where they sell multiple categories, um, you know, we were able to see where people were more inclined to buy from them online. And we had that in real time. So rather than waiting for a survey, we could understand that data straight away. And that is something which we can look to offer to our suppliers on a future date. Yeah, that's powerful because your data points are really coming from the end of the sales funnel right before they click buy. So That's right, yeah. Whereas kind of everything else, your cost per click, all that you know, marketing stuff is at the top. And your guys are just kind of get it where it matters, I guess. Exactly. Just right before they click buy, um, we understand where they were going to buy from. Nice. That's super powerful because you could almost leverage this into like another business, kind of like a services arm or... Exactly. Well, we, we, we do intend to one day, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Because like, you guys have so much actual data, whereas... Well, I guess what I'm saying is this is very proprietary, right? That no one else has. We, we like to think so. so. So hopefully that will stay the case as we, as we move forward, yeah. Yeah, exactly. exactly. All right. And so uh, kind of one question off the site. So you used to work on Harry Potter films, right? What was that like? <laughs> ah, that was amazing so yeah, just to, just to kind of like put that into context um, so during my, my university years I, uh, I worked uh, I did film uh, that was my degree I worked in film and had a very passionate interest in film and I somehow managed to get myself to be I was performance double for the character Neville Longbottom um, so I worked for The Order of the Phoenix Half of the Prince so the last two and a half films um, I managed to get myself on and uh, spent two years working, whilst doing university, uh, working on the set of Harry Potter. It was absolutely incredible. It was an incredible experience, the, working alongside, you know, 
the top the actors there and and the crew there isn't brilliant nice so what is it like to be a double on the screen it's it's a weird thing because ultimately if you do your job right no one will ever know you're a double uh, so despite me telling my friends land this um <laughs> they obviously have no proof of that other than the fact that i disappeared for long periods of time uh during the during the day and uh and kept you know bringing back sneaky pictures of what hogwarts looks like you know they they use us in lots of different ways you know some of the times they use us if they're doing a reverse shot and maybe just you know, shooting one of the other actors and, you know, never would be in the scene. They would use myself to actually act rather than a map. You know, if they're doing a reverse shot and those sort of things. So then I got to sometimes act alongside Adam Rickman um, and those sort of things too, which was, which, was pretty, which was pretty, you know, for someone who didn't necessarily want to be an actor but wanted to get into film, it was a very, um, very interesting experience indeed. So is it just kind of like when they act sometimes, like they want to take a break, they'll just use you as a sub and then you know, kind of the grunt work will be done by you or...? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's lots of different ways they'll use doubles. You know, if, as a kind of whole, they'll use us to set up shots as well. Um, but, um, you know, if, you're, if, it's the, if it's the back of someone's head or if it's a distance shot, um, there is, you know, there isn't always the need to use the main actor. And if you can find someone who looks exactly like them from behind um, or from the side of their face, then it's, I guess, it's a lot more efficient to use someone who might be on a lower salary. Nice. So if, so if your job was done right, you would get confused on set with the actor sometimes too, right? Kind of like if you're walking around, people see you from behind. There, there, <laughs> there were a couple of times when naturally a, a set runner would, would, would ask you and you'd be actually, I'm just the double. I'm not, not the real person. Um, uh, I had a, there was a wonderful experience I had um, when, um, so it was on the set of Order of the Phoenix and um, the scene, I don't know if you've seen the movies, but near the end when there's all these Death Eaters coming around and they're in the, I think the, it's wherever Sirius Black gets killed. Um, and um, Matt had been doing the scene with Helen Bonham Carter, um, who is one of the, uh, one of the one of the baddies in the movie, and obviously there, it was like where she was holding him like with a with a wand against his throat and and you know saying right I'm going to get you whatever, and they they switched Matt and I around um, because I, was, I think Matt went off to do some education or something like that I'm not too sure but anyway I, or the shot wasn't looking really but Helen came in and just started like you know, like she was in character so she started pushing the wand up against my nose like running a hands through my hair and everything. and I thought well I just I'll just go along with it because you know who am I to kind of stop in and say actually I'm not Matt and like, I know you've been comfortable doing this with Matt but I'm, I'm just sat here and we've never met and, and, and about two minutes later she kind of looks down and goes oh and um, realizes that um, she'd just been basically feeling up someone who wasn't the person she'd been comfortable in this scene with before so it was it was, it was quite a funny experience <laughs> so you thought you were the main actor and because yeah. from behind I, I guess I generally looked like him so um I, or i wasn't doing my job properly but so yeah um so it was a bit of confusion but um yeah it was, it was all funny and it was all good oh, awesome awesome all right and so you know the last question uh, where can we find you online uh flubit.com so f-l-u-b-i-t.com awesome and so for those of us that are living international uh u.s maybe you know asia when can we kind of expect that flubit to get here or kind of is it in the future well, if you want to, you, know, you can absolutely give us a, you can try it out. So you can put it in demand. If it, you find a, find a product from maybe a UK website um, and, and put it in and you can see how we work, but you just can't buy from us yet. Uh, but we will expand as quick as our money allows us to expand. I think that's the easiest way to say it. Um, we, we, we'd like to do something beginning of next year. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, very cool. All right, thanks, Brody. And I guess we'll keep in touch. Thanks, Harry. Great to talk to you. To get more information about running an online store, visit our website at buildmyonlinestore.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast.